the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The older I get, the more I appreciate that stream within the Christian tradition that reminds us that however much we study, whatever we think we know with certainty and say about God definitively, we are never doing more than pointing toward the apprehension of the mystery that even in the revelation of Christ remains a blessed and wonderful mystery. As Kenneth Leach says in one of his books, God reveals God's self as mystery. Sometimes this is expressed as, if you think you have come to understand God, it is not God that you have understood. (laughs) Or, if on the road you meet the Buddha, kill the Buddha. It's not that we are left ignorant, but that our knowing is unavoidably subjective and partial. The apophatic stream of spirituality is therefore a good balance to an abundance of language about God, in in that the apophatic proclaims what God is not, the utter inadequacy of language, the necessity of mystery and silence, alongside proclamation and creed. Which doesn't mean I'm not going to preach and use a lot of words, but (laughs) that's the preface. So if you have already decided that you know what the Feast of Pentecost is, what it means, then what you have understood is not Pentecost. (laughs) Bringing the historical event to our world means stepping with great humility and care into the task of taking into account what the event says about God and holding whatever we say about the event as the basis by which we implore the spirit of the God who was present in the upper room and is with us present here today. So what can we say? The Holy Spirit comes to expectant and open disciples, yet on her own time and in her own way. The Holy Spirit is not a respecter of barriers between persons and affects understanding across different languages and cultures, begins to make of many a new oneness, that transcends labels and social hierarchies. The coming of the Holy Spirit is a promise fulfilled and an ultimate fulfillment yet to be known to us and revealed in the world. Pentecost gives this reality fresh meaning and hope. So a bit of unpacking of these ways of the Spirit. Because Acts 2 is often characterized as a joyful coming together of divided peoples. It is good to remember that in the social context of its day, this shared understanding of separated peoples in the one spirit would have been absurd or irrational, offensive, and certainly from the Roman point of view, dangerous. Ethnic and racial divisions and identities gathering together and understanding one another undermines the social order 
and fractures a system of empire built on perpetuating rivalry and violence. And yet both in the gathering and its shared experience of humanizing the other, as St. Peter explains, God's long-promised dream of justice and neighborliness based on mutual respect and sharing is coming into being whether Rome likes it or not. No longer is identity and security based on the terms of the empire and subjugation and victimization and capitulation, but in the divine image given by God from which all persons derive value and acceptance by God. Thus, the first moments of what will come to be called the Christian church are characterized by barrier-dismantling respect and equality of men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. As Paul will say later in his letter to the Galatians, those labels which he lists there in that letter are no longer authoritative, but oneness in Christ is the eternal reality of human life. And so these believers immediately find themselves plunged into this strange paradox of an either-or story of prejudice and segregation, pulling them on the one side, and hospitality and reconciliation and the Spirit beckoning them to their true home and their true self. So let's apply this vision to the current state of American Christianity. If Christians are to be known for our love for one another, our care for the outsider and needy, our welcome of the stranger, our focus on reconciliation and respect, how are we doing? Certainly followers of Jesus live out all of these new creation ways of being in countless acts of care, mostly going unseen and unheralded. But there are also ways in which the data point to the opposite. The sad realities that we hear about, decline, scandal, widening and deepening polarization within and among denominations and churches. Indeed, the world of just a few years ago, which was relatively familiar and stable, has slipped through our collective social fingers. In the face of such change, some Christians are choosing to hunker down and cling to a romanticized vision of the past, ignoring or attacking all of these differences and changes in a swirl of social and political and religious upheaval happening all around us every day. Other Christians view this kind of isolation as fundamentally unfaithful to Jesus' call to love the outcast and victim and have decided that the church in its current institutional form is basically hopeless. That direct engagement with practical works of justice are what Christians are to be about. The story of Pentecost gives us a way forward that is better than either being stuck in a past we cannot recover or seeking to bring about a future that is beyond our capacity to create. Pentecost says is that we can be realistic and hopeful. We can believe that the vision of Pentecost community is still relevant 
and still God's dream and acknowledge that this dream will bring about for us who are committed to it suffering, misunderstanding, suspicion, rejection. In this liminal time, we are invited to grieve and hope. Grieve what is dead and is not coming back. Hope toward what is possible, what new opportunities unfold within our imaginations. I saw a conversation with a bishop recently who said, we are experiencing Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday all at the same time. I regularly see stories about the increase of anxiety, loneliness, depression, and isolation. That churning of disorientation and anxiety and excitement you feel, welcome to the club. And there is no magic fix, no instant escape in some new structure or program or movement or event that promises falsely to alleviate all our fears. The real gift that the disciples received on Pentecost was an insight about how the Holy Spirit would blow through their prejudices, their grievances, their privilege, and their entitlement to make possible a church where brother and sister were the only labels that had any meaning and value. And it is from that gift in the birth of the church that community has an identity and a purpose. The Holy Spirit is offering us two gifts needed to be disciples in this era, expectant readiness and prophetic imagination. In expectant readiness, we remember that the Spirit takes the initiative. The Spirit brings illumination and clarity for action. The Spirit is the reconciler and unitive power of the church. We almost always prefer order, control, predictability, and immediacy. But when we are humble and trusting, we have to suffer the death of what we think God should do on our behalf, what would benefit us, how we can take credit, so that the God of the unknown who unfolds the future before us in our imagination can remind us that being fragile and mortal and finite creatures is not a problem to be solved. God knows that this is what we are. God made us this way. And it is in that very need, our very need and limit and dependence, that the Holy Spirit blows in and through us. Not because we are special and own the copyright, but so that we know we are earthen vessels of the Holy. The treasure is sheer gift that we do not control or possess, even as we are instruments of its glory in the world. The phrase prophetic imagination comes from Walter Brueggemann, who wrote in the book of the same name, the prophet engages in futuring fantasy. The prophet does not ask if the vision can be implemented, for questions of implementation are of no consequence until the vision can be imagined. The imagination must come before the implementation. We must do what we can to open up our imaginations 
to a radically different set of future possibilities. Brueggemann goes on to point toward the practices of prophetic hope that subvert the cosmic and social powers of evil and division, generosity, hospitality, and forgiveness, which continually seek to recognize and honor the human dignity of my neighbor. These are the ways we dissent from empire and declare that Jesus is Lord. Our identity and vocation is to disrupt and subvert the forces of division and domination through acts of hopeful resistance in the power of the Holy Spirit. We Christians believe that in the end, in a new heaven and new earth, what is now obscure will be made clear. What is now partial will be made complete. What we have not seen, we will see. What we cannot imagine will become real, and we will enjoy Christ face to face with brothers and sisters from every tribe and language and people and nation forever and ever. The end that began with Christ continued at Pentecost and breaks into our present with fresh wind, renewed hope, awakened imagination, continues its presence and work in us and in our world. So the one who calls us, prepares us, prospers our efforts, and holds us in life, be glory and praise, now and forever. Amen.